Welcome to the Knock on Archery podcast, where we bring all archers and bow hunters together from all walks of life with the goal to educate, empower, and inspire you to be better both in the field and on the range. That's how you used to wear your bangs right there, bro. <laughs> Is that how you wore your bangs, Tony Hawk style? My uh, my hair has been like this most of my life. <laughs> has it? The shaved, the shaved head. Did you do that in wrestling? They like cut weight. We never, we never had wrestling. What? You, Texas is football, man. That's it. Um, Dang, I can't even believe that. How do I not know that? Well, there's, there's, uh, we got some wrestling programs now. Like the little town we live in has a good wrestling, uh, wrestling team, and and. Um, they're really investing in it, but I know when I was growing up, it was you played football, basketball, baseball. That was it. So. Oh, I guess basketball got mixed in there. Man, you could add some legit freaking linemen if they would have been wrestling in the wintertime. Definitely. Just, just saying. For sure. Did you wrestle? I did just because I hated my basketball coach. I, I actually didn't like wrestling. Um, Mainly because when I was seventh grade or eighth grade, I was like still in my fat stage and just got some beat. Like I was in like 155 or something dumb in seventh grade. And so I was just in freaking get pummeled class. <laughs> yeah, I rolled in like I'm going to do wrestling and then just, you know, just got freaking beat up on. And I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to start trying to slam dunk a basketball instead. That was it. So I went Texas mode. Right on. It's a, it's a great sport. Yeah. Anytime I'm rolling jiu-jitsu with a wrestler, you're like, okay, I'm going to get taken down and just get ready yeah. to pull guard, try to sweep. Yeah. 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 Time to sprawl, baby. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> That's one thing that, like, just the fact that I did wrestling for a year is was just, like, learning a, the technique of sprawling. I don't know what you got going there. That's why you don't go sidewinder in freaking Iowa, bro. <laughs> freaking you keep trying to do this Tony Hawk freaking haircut thing you got going. Jesus, how many directions are you going to move that microphone? Dang it. Go. Dude, just freaking take the battle head on and it'll work just fine. <laughs> or, or do what you do with your freaking peep site and put your head in some kind of crazy direction to look through your stream. <laughs> I just like to challenge myself. John. Maybe that's, you're that's a flanker. Maybe you're a flanker. You like that re that reach around technique that from around and from the back. <laughs> <laughs> Take it easy. Oh, that's awesome. Dude, I'm pumped that you're here. Straight up though. Um last year, honestly, it was like this is pretty much our one year anniversary. Just because I was going out to Biss's house to teach him archery. You know Biss, Matt Biss? Yeah. So I was going out to his house prior to tack and I literally got in my truck and it was like, I think it was like 12 hours or something to get out there. And, uh, I, I just started going through audible and I'm like, I'm going to freaking just, I'm going to nail this. The only time I'm going to stop this extreme ownership book is it when I got to jump out and like put diesel in this sucker and take a leak. And so that's what I did. Freaking power mode, dude, <laughs> straight through start to finish. So it was, what was amazing about the, like the audio book is I love that you and Jack or you and Jocko 
actually read it because it was like more powerful and you've got, you know, kind of this brash radio voice. I don't know if you create that or if that's just like in there. <laughs> I, but, I talk in a high squeaky voice. Uh, yeah, yeah. Normally. Normally. Yeah. Like Mike I just, Tyson. I just make it when I'm on the, uh, yeah. As soon hey as he gets, Hey guys, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> but no, I loved, I honestly, it's the one book where if you're going to get, if someone's going to like crap on you for doing the, you know, the audio book, it's way better because it's like, it's like a Jocko podcast that's freaking 12 hours long with unbelievable content in it. Like, and the fact that you guys read through all of them is just super cool because, you know, like for me, it's weird. Cause I know Jack Carr and I know how he like talks to me about a book and I was lucky enough to like, especially in the third book, he sent me like a couple texts, like, Hey, I'm going down th this Avenue. Can you just double check a couple of these things the way I'm like referencing them and stuff. So it was like, from my aspect, I was hearing it from the author's voice, like as it was being created. So it was really cool for that book to actually know that you guys did it because it was like, at least in my opinion, it would be like going to a concert, but they're not lip syncing. And like, it's the guys actually saying it how it is. And I would, I don't know how long it took you guys to do it, but I, it's cool that you did because it really came across like more powerful that someone else wasn't trying to say that for you guys. Well, I appreciate that, John. That, that That's great feedback. And, and we really wanted to read it ourselves. Yeah. Uh, well, we, first of all, we wanted to write it ourselves. I mean, yeah. we were told, you know, we had to use an author. We, you know, five major publishing houses turned us down and said, you know, pass or this isn't good enough or, you know, only with, through an author, uh, you know, you guys can't write this yourself. So we really wanted to do that. And so then we we, we said, I, I actually said that if, if we can't get James Earl Jones to read the book for us, then <laughs> then we're reading it ourselves. And, and apparently James Earl Jones wasn't available. So dang it, uh, that would have been pretty cool. But yeah, we, you know, we, we just we wanted to share stories that could help people and, uh, and, and talk about not the things we did right, but the things we actually did wrong, which is, you know, failure is the, the best teacher oftentimes. Yeah. And, um, it, it just, you know, you learn so much from failure, just like the, the screw up shooting with you today. Like that's what, <laughs> that's what I learned from. That's what I, I you know, you, you get a chance to actually learn from that. You, you remember it and, and, uh, it's, you know, then, then you get better. So it, it's, you know, we didn't talk about what went great. We talked about what actually sucked or what we screwed up and, yeah. and, uh, and that's something that, you know, hopefully other leaders can learn from. Well, it depends on your student too. I feel like a good coach takes a little bit of time to analyze how they can approach the student, you know, because I mean, if I felt like you were going to cry about it, <laughs> I probably would have been like clapping behind you and said, that's great. That's what you need to do, man. I'm impressed. But no, I just <laughs> waited for the moment to just freaking turn the fork and just say like, dang man, quit on that one. Huh? <laughs> if you don't follow through with John, you get accused of being a quitter, which in the SEAL teams is uh, the worst thing you can call somebody. Yeah. You just turn, you're like, yeah. what? <laughs> I'm like, you heard me you quit on that. And then I like showed you a couple times and then you were just like, yeah, that was pretty powerful. So then I said, <laughs> what was the next? So I go, Oh, maybe you want me to say it? Like, how did I say it that second time? 
I like rephrased it. And it was, it was something about quitting or being a quitter. I think, yeah, that. I said something like, oh, you just didn't follow through with what you were supposed to do or something. You're just like, that's just as bad. Gave, gave up. Yeah, we. Oh, yeah, you just gave up out. on yeah. it. Yeah, we, we uh, that was that was awesome instruction. But I think you, you learn from you learn from your mistakes and, and everyone is going to make mistakes. And I think, you know, the idea of extreme ownership is that you, you know, you just all you have to do is learn from those mistakes and implement a solution to fix those mistakes going forward. And that, and that enables you to get better every time. And uh, and I think that's, you know, that's the I think the power of that book and and. Um, in, in sharing those mistakes. In fact, the biggest mistake, I mean, the opening chapter of that book, um, you know, is amazing. Jocko did not want to, did not want to put that in there originally. That was not really? the opening chapter. The original opening chapter is the chapter two about the boat cruise. Um, that was the original opening chapter when we were working on the manuscript. And, and I was like, man, I'm thinking about the most powerful example of extreme ownership that we can, you know, that we can think of. Um, and it was when you stood up in front of the room and took ownership of yeah. this horrible blue on blue, you know, friendly fire situation. When we knew that he, he wouldn't, Jocko wasn't, even though he was our boss, he was a task and a commander. And uh, we knew that he hadn't been in the exact building where that horrible situation took place. And, yeah. and, and he wasn't the guy that, you know, misidentified an Iraqi soldier and, and all those things. Or, or he wasn't with the Iraqi soldiers that were, that were out of their sector and shouldn't have been there in the first place. And, you know, it was just a series of, of these compounding events, but yeah. yet to stand, see the him take ownership of that whole thing was was incredibly powerful. And so, when I first suggested that, he's like, I, "I don't, I don't think we should put that in the book." And and it was, you know, it was something it's hard to write about. It's it's a big black eye to say, "Hey, we screwed this up, and this yeah. is my fault." And uh, and and you know, after we talked about it for a little bit, he's like, "You're right. We need to write it." And so so you know, he wrote it, and and um, and I think it's the most powerful chapter of all because it, it shows like. This, there's, when there's real consequences, something terrible happens, like the power of extreme ownership. And instead of people losing trust in, in you when something bad happens, if you take ownership and, and say, here's what we're going to do to make sure this never happens again, yeah, people actually gain trust in you, you know, which, which is incredible. Well, and I think the fact that you guys had that discussion and at first it wasn't like all agreed on of, yeah, it, it, you know, I think once Jocko thought about it, he realized how important your feeling was on it. And that's like a real message. And so in true Jocko fashion, he like got gritty enough on that whole thing to where you recognize the importance of like, oh damn, this actually is a life or death situation. This isn't like, you know, what if I don't give this guy's vacation time? You know, this was, it was a good way to pretty much like place the stake of this is how serious this book is and like, you know, what you have to be uh, able to own up on, which in that case was, you know, blue on blue, right? And I, was that the first casualty that, too? That was the first big operation of, of, uh, of, of our of tasking a bruiser when we first arrived there. I mean, yeah. it was the first major operation we were part of. So yeah, from an internal aspect, you knew like, oh, great, you know, freaking all eyes on us right, right away. We come in here and lose a dude. Right. Yeah. In that case, we didn't, we didn't lose one of our guys. Uh, no, we, we did get some, yeah. we had a guy that was wounded and it could have gone horribly. Yeah. We could have lost every single person. I mean, they were about to coordinate. Is that the one with like where the 50 cal was just freaking yeah. raining in? Yeah. You know, what's crazy is Jocko told me that story before 
like honestly I, I think it was before we really talked in relation to like what our fields were you know I, I knew who Jocko was but I didn't necessarily dive down the extreme ownership side of things to where I knew and so I think it was when we were like on our first hunt together we were just you know somewhere where we were both tired just you know worn out and so we just started talking and and he just started talking about like that situation and and he didn't apply it to the book he was just taught we were talking about something you know something like that sucked and we learned from and he was just talking about like you know that moment he's like dude we're in this building there's just freaking 50 cal just freaking boom boom you know and a dude like takes around to the face and he just you know and he was just saying like it's just horrible you know it's like to freaking and i don't know what the situation was so i'm probably not doing it justice but i know the meaning at like i know how serious that was so it was a really cool way to start it and it it like even though it wasn't the initial plan it was like it was meant to be the way it went because it was an attention getter. Well, I, I thank God for that. I mean, yeah. had that had that not incident happened, I mean, an Iraqi soldier was killed and that was tragic yeah. and, and, and horrible. Um, but had we not encountered that incident right out of the gate, I, I think we'd have lost half our platoon, you know, half our yeah. task in it with friendly fire. But it, it was, uh, it made us realize just how easily this can happen. And if we don't take extreme measures to mitigate the risk of it happening every single time it's going to happen i mean we just those those the urban combat you know we were involved in ramadi in 2006 we um i think we got shot at we got shot at by friendlies at least you know six or eight times they were like absolutely that's friendly shooting at us uh and then probably another dozen times that i'm pretty sure it was friendlies but i can't be you know positive uh so it it happened all the time yeah And, and it was um but we we took extreme steps and when it did happen we could stop it and when we were prepared for it so um you know we would throw us orange signal panel you know over the side of the building and so all the bad guys and you know everywhere could know exactly where we were but that would prevent us from getting shot at by yeah by friendlies or we you know we we would signal with flares or we'd contact folks on the radio and we would we just had measures in place and so we're getting shot at and we were able to to keep it from uh, from you know we, we could we could call ceasefire we could get the rounds to stop we could we, we could uh, uh, we had measures in place to mitigate the risks of that and and so it never happened again where you know where we got guys seriously wounded or killed uh, you know, and, and if we hadn't learned that lesson I mean it would have I would almost certainly have happened uh, in, a, in a really tragic and horrible situation definitely you know what's cooler about it is when the second book came out it was really cool because to me and I didn't just listen to it because it was Jocko you know I I I wanted there's certain things that I'll spend personal time with and if I have to assess like okay I'm gonna I'm gonna be on my you know lawnmower for three hours what do I really want to do so there you know there's certain times where it's like okay I'm gonna allocate it to a book but if it's a book it's gonna be something that's like self-improvement more so than entertainment type thing so when the second book came out it was cool that in a way you guys took ownership that people some people did not grasp the direction of extreme ownership it's like they took it too far 
right? And then so you had to like break it down and kind of say like, all right, we're going to take ownership and somehow a bunch of idiots didn't read this the right way because I totally got it. But then when the second one came out, I started to realize like, wait a minute, people implied it that way, like the first book. And it seemed like, yeah, maybe people like took it to an extreme to where they didn't get the basic concept, right? People think they should be extreme in everything, you yeah. know, and, and that's the, the reason we had to dive into that in the dichotomy of leadership is that when it comes to ownership and, and not blaming other people and actually accepting ownership of a situation, you should be extreme. And, and I think that term is, is a very valid one. Uh, I mean, it's something that, you know, Jocko was trying to describe what was required of leadership when he was working with some leaders and, and, yeah. and he, he, that term immediately resonated. I was like, that's exactly what, what it has to be. And when he shared that with me at first time, I was like, that's spot on. And, uh, and it, it was, um, even though we, we didn't have that term, we, we worked together in tasking a bruiser. Uh, it, it captured the essence of what effective leadership looked like. And, yeah. and that was with every unit we served with and everybody that we saw that was successful. But when you become, you know, if you try to go extreme in everything you're doing, you know, you, you see people that they, they, they come in real aggressively and, you know, we'll see, we'll see a, a business leader that comes in as dropping Jocko quotes and, you know, pointing fingers and say, you need to start taking ownership and you need to start doing this and that. And of course that is the direct approach that we yeah. doesn't work <laughs> yeah. and, and you get, it turns people off and you get people pushing back on that. And we've had leaders that were like banned from even quoting Jocko or me <laughs> or talking about the books <laughs> at their work. Cause they came in, you know, they came in freaking Rambo style <laughs> and uh, you know, it, it just over the top. And, and so instead of trying to, find the balance. And that's why we wrote Dichotomy of Leadership to expand on that 12th chapter of extreme ownership. I mean, everything you do is, it's a, it's trying to find balance in, in the equilibrium between these, these forces that are pulling you in, in two different directions, you know, and you can take things like you got to be a leader. You got to be one step of a lead, but you also got to be a follower as well. If you can't follow and you can't actually carry out the orders of those over you and, and lead, you know, let other people lead, then you're not going to be successful. And if you, you got to be detached, detachment is really important so that you can, you can see yeah. and, and kind of understand what the priorities are and, and, uh, and, and make sure that you're focused on the, the proper strategic objectives. But if you're too detached, and you don't know what's going on. You can't help your team, you know, and you don't, you, you can't support them. And there's, yeah. you know, you're, you're actually failing, failing as a leader. So it's, it's trying to find the balance between those things. And, and really, you know, we talk about decentralized command is really important as well. You need to empower the team. They get leaders on the team at every level need to step up and lead rather than the, the one senior person that's, that's barking orders and telling everybody what to do. That's, that's centralized command. That doesn't work. Yeah. So you want to use decentralized command, but then you also have to have extreme ownership as well. So you're responsible for everything, but you yeah. can't do everything. And I think trying to find, find the balance there is, is, is crucial. Sometimes you can lead by listening. Like I, I've had a lot of meetings where as a, as a meeting transpires, I realize like who is not talking. And then it's almost like I'm waiting for them to, to say something because I know they're thinking and they're, they're listening, they're taking it in and they're going to make a decision. And honestly, their decision is probably going to be, it's going to have the, the least amount of emotional attachment. And it's like, okay, I, you know, and you see that person speak up and you're like a hundred percent listening, like, okay, this guy just came from a completely, he's been looking at this from an overwatch. So he's seen this whole thing, this whole chess match play 
from not a one side, two side perspective. And so it makes you want to like, listen to what they say. So sometimes with the leader, the quieter they get when they choose to speak, the right people that are like actually wanting to be led, they're going to be like, Oh, this person hasn't been fighting the whole time. They're about ready to say something. What are they going to say? And it's almost like your point's going to get across better as a leader by listening first and like kind of, you know, looking at it from an outside perspective, which is like, I talked to you about that today when we were shooting and you were telling me what you were feeling. And I'm like, I know what you tell me you're feeling, but trust me, I'm looking at it from not where you're looking at it from. And you are freaking a half inch from like perfection, but you're just not trusting it yet because you can't see it from my angle. And so then as soon as we got your bow, it was like, you know, you were able to kind of understand what I knew you were doing, but you, you know, you weren't like seeing it for yourself. And then it, you know, it was immediately there and you were kind of taken by surprise. Like, Oh yeah, that freaking felt awesome. <laughs> it did feel awesome. That, that, <laughs> that silver bag is legit, man. We're, we're, uh, uh, that, for me, I, I think that was, you know, it's it's a I've been shooting for 20 years with it with a release I, I uh, uh, was was asking me today like when did you when did you start shooting with, with you know with a wrist strap and I was like man it's been it's been over 20 years and, <laughs> and so I got a lot of bad habits and and uh, you know to be able to transition with your guidance there uh, so quickly to that I was I, I was I was probably overthinking it in my head and thinking it was gonna be more of a problem than it was and I think with with your guidance and doing that it just it, that thing is awesome, man. It's yeah. <laughs> it, in, it a way, in a way, yeah. it was fun because, <laughs> like, I knew you were worried about it, <laughs> and I was a hundred percent not worried about it. <laughs> like, just suck it up, get yeah, in there, yeah, make I, it happen. Yeah, I wonder what Jocko would have been, you know, doing. <laughs> So when you guys, when Jocko smells weakness uh, or, or lack of confidence, <laughs> it's pile on. I've always, I've always noticed if you watch him coach in jujitsu, he doesn't, he's, he's, he doesn't help the person that's getting smashed. He will coach the person who's doing the smashing a hundred percent of the time. So, so that's what he's going to do. He's going to just like pile on, like try to get under his skin. Damn. Freaking tough love. That's man. pretty standard in the SEAL teams. So the worst thing you can ever do is let somebody know what gets under your skin because they're going to just hammer down. I know. Just yeah, but the thing is, from the, from the amount of SEALs I've met, it seems like because of that thinking, they almost overly make fun of what you actually know does bug them they like try to make fun of it more so you, that you won't touch on it. And that's a tell. I mean, there's, you know, a bunch of you, including yourself, like when you say, dang, bro, you're short. You're just like, you know, <laughs> big heart or whatever, whatever you say. Doesn't bother me. <laughs> yeah. Man. Don't yeah. bother me. <laughs> Bring it on. Yeah. <laughs> so true. Yeah. There's, I think I would, str I would have struggled on some of the ships though. <laughs> Yeah, well, you're, you're a big dude. I, look, all I ever wanted to be was like six nine, you know, 400 pounds of just... <laughs> Damn, bro. Freaking... I think uh, the, the, 
the the world uh, it would have been a, <laughs> would have been a wild Shaq. place. Yeah, <laughs> I never quite get that. I get, I was I I stopped growing. Shaq Babin in about that uh, has a good ring to it though. Probably truthfully. my my eighth eighth grade. I'm I'm almost as big as I was in eighth grade right now. In, in like ninth grade, I was. I was like 5'10", probably 100, 190 pounds. Yeah. So you look like Eminem. So I was like smashing everybody. <laughs> no, you weren't. <laughs> I, was tw- I was twice everybody's size my freshman year in high school. And then, and then as, as everybody got bigger uh, than me, and started, I was like, okay, Jack. It's the yeah. way it is. When did Jocko get bigger? When did he start filling out? Was he big when you met him? Yeah, I mean, he has he been straight up gorilla since birth. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I think when he went through buds, he was, you know, he was. Yeah, I, I did. Pounds, yeah, I did see pounds, him yeah. there. He was pretty yeah. light for sure. So when when you guys first went over to Ramadi, and I'm kind of digging back into some of this because I feel like I feel like what you guys teach is so imperative not just to business but to students and so like my angle for this podcast is if you like anytime someone teaches you something that's good you can like you can direct it to you know oh man i'm going to apply these principles to weightlifting even though it's about like you know management right within a company and and stuff but it's like what if i direct this as us, you know, as a person trying to become a, a world-class archer, you know, and there's this unbelievable leadership, you know, tool out there, or just like, honestly, like a self-improvement tool. It's like, can you actually look at that and say, how can I apply this to what I'm trying to be good at? Not necessarily just business. And I think the same rules apply. Like, I think the same rules of sports psychology apply to what it would take to, to make a really good employee. You know, it's like, yeah, there's ego driven, you know, mentality people that are exceptional athletes, but they also super exceed and they super decline. But there's also task driven people that if you give them a task and a clear task and they're able to achieve goals, they just continue to freaking grind and grind and grind because all they want to do is complete the task at the best of their ability and like continue to complete goals and move forward. And so it's like, okay, if I can apply those same principles at me as an employee, guess what? Like in this company, in our company, you would a hundred percent like I would see that so freaking fast and you would set yourself up to be able to move to probably things that I haven't even thought we needed yet. I'd be like, this guy freaking needs to get a belt change, but people don't look at it that way. Right. I mean, it's, it seems like that's a dying freaking self thirst. When you say belt change, are you, are you talking about a promotion? Yeah, I'm talking like, about like jujitsu. Yeah, style? like I mean, Jocko probably <laughs> takes them away. <laughs> like I guess I'll find out. But um, see, I, when yeah, you say I'm belt talk- change, I'm I'm thinking machine guns. Here. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, put in some heavier ammo. But yeah, I'm just saying, you know, if where I'm from, when I see someone wholeheartedly putting in 
effort for the team and like applying applying extra time and effort into self-improvement it's like you want to freaking you want to encourage that i mean it t- it'd take a real idiot to just say oh yeah whatever he's just doing his thing anybody any like employee now would just be like man this is freaking super hard to come by if there's ever a time that you could excel as an as a person trying to grow in a company right now would be the time to where if you had work ethic like your grandpa you would and you and you really fought for self-improvement you would freaking make leaps and bounds without, I think without accolades of degree, you know, I think that work ethic and, you know, taking extreme ownership, trying to, you know, have extreme leadership too. I think that stuff would be recognized so fast right now. I I think I look, I think it's hundred percent true. Absolutely. And uh, what you're really talking about there, when you're talking about work ethic, I, I would describe as discipline, right? And that's, you know, Jocko's personal mantra is discipline equals freedom. And that, that's something that, you know, he really brought into uh, us in Tasking a Bruiser. And, you know, you want, you want freedom to excel at the highest levels. You, you got to have discipline. Discipline is the pathway to freedom. And even though they, they seem like totally opposite things, Freedom is the ability to do whatever you want to, whenever you want to. Discipline is a rigid, structured thing. Uh, the pathway to freedom is discipline. And, you know, he always gives examples of, um, you know, you want financial freedom. How do you get that? You got to you gotta be able to work hard, save your money, not spend it on things that you don't need, invest it wisely. That's how you get financial freedom. Same thing for time. You know, you want more free time. You got to actually, you got to actually have a disciplined time management system is the only way you're going to be able to, to, to create more free time for yourself. And I, I think that a lot of people will look at somebody who is successful, like yourself, you know, with, with, with knock on and, and all that you guys are doing and say, well, he got lucky or he's in the right place at the right time. And we, I hear this all the time from leaders. Um, and yet we work with incredibly successful leaders and then we'll work, you know, work with different leaders within a company where there's, you know, there's some hot, hot performers that, you know, the, the two or three top performers, and there's other folks that are kind of throwing some shade at them and thinking that they just got lucky. And when you, when you look at what makes those people good, it's that they have discipline. They're, they're, you know, the top salespeople, they have the discipline to make the calls that they're supposed to make. They're making the cold calls. They're, they're going through the checklists. They're going out and meeting people, you know, instead of going out with their friends, you know, drinking on Friday night, they're working and they're, and they're, they're putting in the extra time that you're talking about. Um, you know, and I, I saw the same thing with Chris Kyle on the battlefield. You know, it was our lead sniper point man. And, and some of the other guys in the platoon were like, you know, giving him a heart, like, how does his numbers are so much higher than us? How's that even possible? And, you know, and, and he was doing a lot of damage to the bad guys, uh, it, certainly in, in Ramadi. And man, he was, I, I would watch him in, a, in an overwatch. He's like sitting on his, for two or three straight hours, just looking down the scope of his weapon. <laughs> That's it. You know, he's not, he's not coming off his weapon. And, and the other guys, some of them were, were, they would sit on their weapon for half an hour and then they start. Then they start kind of sitting back a little bit Sounds and then like they start the joking with their buddy. Thing, and next thing you know, they're like sitting way back in their chair and just looking through their binoculars every once in a while. And so then they're wondering like, why, why is Chris more successful? And I'm, I mean, it's, it's kind of, from a hunting perspective, yeah. it's exactly the same. If you think, oh, that guy got lucky, he killed that big buck or we, they, they don't see all the, says to me and the hard work and the research that's going yeah. into it, you know, and the scouting and all the effort that you put into that. Um, and I think it's, it's very, it's very much the same thing. If you want to be successful at anything, you, you've got to have discipline. You got to be able to work hard and you got to actually, 
if you can outwork everybody else, I mean, that's giving you a massive advantage. Um, and most people don't have discipline. So if you, if you have discipline, you know, you're, you're able to, to be successful. But one, one thing that you, you're saying I think is really important is, you know, when you're talking about leadership development and the willingness to learn and, and work hard, I mean, there is, uh, it, we talk about people think about leader. Well, you're kind of born with this leadership ability or not. And, and that's just not true at all. I mean, it's, if there's one thing that I've, I've come to understand that is that leadership is a skill. It's a, it's a skill that can be learned and, and you have to train it all the time. Like archery, like, you know, like physical training. I mean, if you want to, you want to be strong, you want to be fit. You, you can't just work out one time or go to a seminar for a weekend or yeah. train for two weeks and expect that you're going to maintain great shape. You got to do it all the time. And, uh, and so it's a skill you got to work on. If you take that discipline and work ethic, as you call it, and, and, and put that toward, growing and learning as a leader um, and, and, and trying to learn these skills and then implement these skills. I mean, it just, it absolutely works. And it's kind of like you giving me, you know, <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm doing things totally differently with my hand position or my stance or, you know, uh, the way I position my hand. I mean, just the, you know, the, 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 the knocking point where, where I'm, I'm, I'm getting that, that uh, hand position today. And, when, when, when I'm doing what you say and not overthinking it, I'm like, dang, that works. That put that arrow exactly where I was just holding. That's, that's yeah. amazing. And, and I think it's the same way with leadership. When we, someone's telling me about some problem they're having with this person with a big ego, you know, and you don't understand what, you know, how big of an ego they have and I have to work with this person. And, and I'm the whole time thinking, well, they ain't the only one with a big ego. Yeah. Cause uh, I deal with this tomorrow, it, yesterday, Yeah. It, next it, week I got another one scheduled. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's it, when you, when you can, if you can put your ego in check, then we can, it, let's yeah. say you and I are having a clash, you know, we're having a clash and you want to go one way and I want to go the other way. And, and if I could put my ego in check and say, Hey, well, John, how do you want to do it? Okay. Let me, let me, let me, uh, let me, let me go to you. Something you talked about right earlier, listening. It's, it's, a, it's a underrated leadership skill. It's something Jock has been talking a lot about lately. Um, uh, it's a super underrated, uh, leadership skill. And, and if what that requires is me to put my ego in check, listen to you, listen to your ideas. And, and so we'll, we will talk someone through that. Sometimes we'll even role play that, that exercise. And it takes several iterations of having a conversation with someone where you're going to put your ego in check and then they'll go and have that conversation and they come back and they're like, dang, I can't believe how good that works. <laughs> Freaking sniper. So it's the same thing. I mean, it, yeah. it, it, it works. And then, and then they're like, okay, so let me try it a little more. Let me try it a little more. And, and I think when you're, you know, we know these things to be true. Just as, yeah. you know, I don't know how many, how, how many thousands and thousands of reps that you, you have probably tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of reps of putting arrows down range, uh, where you've learned what works and what doesn't work. And, uh, and I think it's the same thing for us as leadership. We're, we get to see this all the time and we work with, you know, giant corporations to small startups and I mean, charity organizations and police departments and fire departments and everywhere in between. Um, and you see these different leadership challenges and most of them are the same. Yeah. Um, you know, like I'm coming in thinking I have some unique challenge or issue and you probably seen it a thousand times, you know, is there so. like, I feel like there would be the most trouble from like the startups and the really high ups where you've had like the super powerful egos, like just crush their way to the top. And now they're at this big place and people underneath them are challenged, like trying to deal with it. Or then the startups where it's like, this is mine, you know, my name's on the building. You know, <laughs> is there, is the middle ground 
a little bit more safer water or is that, are there still like, is there still like egos on every level? I mean, look, every, everyone's got an ego and I think any of us, you, you're not going to be successful, you know, if you don't have an ego, I yeah. wouldn't be successful. If I didn't have an ego. I mean, you know, you wouldn't be successful. If you didn't have an ego. So ego drives us to be, you know, successful. And that's, right. that's awesome. We want to outperform others. We want to do better than others. We want to, we want to win the, 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 you know, the, the archery contest. We certainly want to, when we would go into a neighborhood that was totally enemy control in Ramadi back in 2006. And I would talk to these incredibly courageous and awesome, uh, warriors, the, the company commanders and their platoon sergeant, you know, their company, their company first sergeants, um, and the platoon commanders and platoon sergeants in these platoons and, 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 um, in these, uh, us Marine and army, um, companies that we worked with and, and platoons. And, and when they'd say like, man, you guys are, you guys are going to go into that neighborhood. Like nobody can get into that neighborhood. Like we, that's, that's a really bad place. We're like, yeah, that's where we're going to go. I mean, we, we, we wanted to do that. We wanted to go places that other people couldn't go. And, and we weren't just trying to be stupid about it. We were, we tried to mitigate the risk we can control and, and we would, they would come out and help us if, the, if, you know, they would do everything they could to get to us in their tanks and, you know, their Bradley fighting vehicles to, to, uh, deliver firepower on our behalf, which they did all the time. But we took pride in being able to do things that other people couldn't do. And, and ego drives that. And that's awesome. Yeah. But when ego can also be, you know, an, an incredibly destructive thing. I mean, the most destructive thing, um, you know, as Jocko wrote in Extreme Ownership, it, it, it clouds and disrupts everything. And people will, you know, you'll see people that just, they'll ride their idea into the ground, even when it's clearly going to be lead to the destruction of their entire team and, and, uh, and, and their, to their own detriment. And, and um, it, it's even even when self-preservation, I mean, people will just disregard their own self-preservation just to not say they were wrong. You know? Yeah, dude, but crazy. every now and then yeah. some dude freaking comes out of that and like has the clapper or something and freaking just nails this unbelievable idea where everyone's just like, who wants to clap and turn their lights on and off? And you're like, damn it, freaking I'm on, you know, QVC now or whatever. <laughs> Every now and then there's yeah. someone that freaking rides it to the grave and somehow like doesn't crash well, and burn. When you, when you have a good like, idea, you do need yeah. it. When like you, it's when funny, isn't it? Cause you, you like, you have to have that, like that drive of not losing, not ringing the bell. This idea is good. People don't get it. Like no one's getting my idea. I'm going to freaking, I'm going to die with this thing. But, well, I think you can have but, certainly confidence yeah. in the idea for sure, right? Yeah. And when you know, look, I think, you know, you, I know you've done a lot, a lot of things differently that enable you to be successful um, and, uh, and taken risks and done things that other people, you know, wouldn't do. And it, that's been the same thing for us as well, uh, both on the battlefield, you know, in Tasking a Bruiser, uh, when Jock and I are working together, and, and now with Echelon Front, like we've, we've gone a different path than other folks when, you know, the, the publisher said we couldn't do it, you know, as I talked about, or our people said, Hey, you can't do this or can't do that. That's, I mean, look, our ego drives to say, okay, we're going to, if we, we really understand there's a need for this or really understand that this is actually the way to go. It's a really good example. Then, then we're going to, we're going to push in that direction. And ego is a great driver for that. I think, but you, you just have to, you have to be able to evaluate where you are and see, Hey, we tried this thing. This thing isn't working. We're hemorrhaging money going in this direction. Maybe we shouldn't do that. And we should go back a different direction. You know, we, we talk about what makes you really decisive on the battlefield is, is, um, is, is small iterative decisions. 
So rather than one giant decision of we're going, we're going to retreat, or we're going to fall back, or we're going to make a giant maneuver to left or right, you make these small series of, of, of iterative decisions in the direction that you think is best. And, you know, then when you see like, okay, it's not what I thought it was, I can, I can readjust. And, and you're not married to a certain You're plan. not like yeah. you haven't dove off the cliff. You've at least like tried to switch back and navigate to where you're like, oh, wait, there's no way down right there. I got to go back, maybe approach it from this way, you know, before I could get down there. Exactly. But it's, it's, it's kind of like, you know, I mean, if you're going to use like a, a, a land navigation example like that, this, yeah. instead of me deciding that I'm going to go from here, you know, to a point that's like, you know, 10 miles, uh, you know, in, in, a, in another direction. I mean, what if, if I'm not really sure that that's the place that we need to go, then maybe I'm just going to move 200 yards that direction yeah. in the direction I think I need to go. And let's see if the pathway actually works and see if it's a navigable terrain and we can actually make it there. So I, I think that's it, until you instead of just making a giant commitment and saying, hey, I'll meet you there. And let's, you know, at the rendezvous point 10 miles away, we're we'll start to move in a direction where we think we need to go. And then we can evaluate our route from there and we can readjust if we need to. And, and I think that's a. Ego can just lead you down the path just to say, all you got to do is just say, hey, you know what? I was totally wrong about that. I thought this way. And, and, and it's so hard for people to do that. I mean, myself included, it's incredibly hard to put your own ego in check. Um, but, you know, but to, to your, your point about what businesses are, you know, the most difficult, I, I mean, I, I think we see great leaders in startups. We see, you know, in small, small companies and, and uh, we see great leaders in, you know, mid-sized companies. We see great leaders in, in, in big companies too. I mean, it's, you know. Where do you see the highest failure though? I, I don't know. I, frankly, I think the, the leaders, you know, there's, there's different, like, you know, you got, some, you got agility and, and, and they can move and, mm-hmm. and do make things happen rapidly, you know, in a smaller company versus yeah. a, a larger, you know, more bureaucratic organization and, you know, a huge corporation that has to get approval through, you know, boards or, yeah. you know, even shareholders and et cetera. Uh, so there's more, they're not, they're, they're more nimble, certainly when they're small, but the big, I, I think the, the, I don't think there's one that's more, you know, I, I, I wouldn't categorize as far as leaders go because there's there's successful leaders and unsuccessful leaders in all of those uh, situations. Yeah. I think the thing that really makes people stand out, though, is it's whether or not they can put their ego in check. And, and if you can take ownership, number one, that's why we titled the first book Extreme Ownership, because if you're going to cast blame, if you're going to make excuses, if you're going to point fingers, um, you're not going to be successful. We I have had people say we had a, there was a client recently we were working with. And um, he said, well, this, this is a great concept, you know, and this is, it was kind of a mid-sized company. He's like, this would never work at this giant corporation that, you know, that I used to work at. And I was like, that's interesting that you say that. And he's like, yeah, you know, people just, if you took ownership of something, you would just get trampled on. And, you know, it was always just point fingers and let somebody else take the fall. And that just wasn't the culture there. And so I asked him what corporation he was talking about. And they're actually a client of ours. <laughs> and we've actually helped, we actually helped uh, one of their uh, particular projects, we'll call it, you know, uh, turn, turn around their performance. Uh, I mean, they, they got all kinds of accolades over the last year or two uh, in like most improved and, and, uh, and, and, and for the all kinds of like successful numbers when they were ranked last of, 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 uh, of all their particular, uh, you know, projects uh, previously. So, you know, th- this is, it's, it's, uh, 
it's just an example of like, it, it doesn't matter where you are. If you do this stuff, it works. If you're, if you're taking ownership of things, if you stop casting blame, you stop making excuses and you start implementing solutions to problems, um, it, it works. And I don't care if you're a fortune 50 company or if you're yeah. a brand new startup, you know, with one yeah. employee. Um, I mean, it's, it absolutely works. And you know, you, you look, you think strategically, you think about building relationships long-term, um, you, you, uh, and you're willing to actually evaluate, you know, what, what works and what doesn't work and, and make adjustments accordingly. I mean, those, those kind of people are going to be successful wherever they are. I feel like common denominators are like, for me, when I coach, so many of the things that I look for are common denominators. And as much as sometimes ego makes people want to argue them with me, like, I just know, listen, you're dealing with a rule of average. There's a ton, you know, there's a, there's a lot of countless and countless and countless people to where have made the same argument. And I've proven, you know, this is your way of thinking, but it's not that what the end result's going to be like, there's no way it's happened. But I feel like sometimes learning those common denominators are what helps you avoid mistakes. So when I said, like, do you recognize a pattern, you know, versus the startups or the bigger ones? For me, it would be a, a cool learning curve to try to see, like, if one, if you said, you know, now that I think about it, it seems like the startups, like you said, reacted quicker. They were able to make adjustments, especially with things like COVID, you know, where like some major decisions might have to be made. I mean, you guys were like super impressive how fast you went EF online. That was, I don't know if that was already in the tank, but hadn't like came out yet, or if that was a freaking, you know, move adjustment, but we, it was very, it was like ahead of its time. I well, think I appreciate that. We, we actually had that in place uh, prior to that, but just, you know, for about a, uh, not quite a year, I guess. Um, but it, it was, um, it was definitely what I think what COVID did for us when all of a sudden, I think we had 37 events canceled in, in, in mid-March. Uh, I mean, all these in-person training events and everything just went to, went to zero. And, and so it really forced us to focus on the virtual side of things, which we knew we, we needed to do anyway, because we can reach more people and, and impact more people and share more leadership lessons yeah. with, with folks all over the world. So I think we have, we have over 60 countries represented on that thing right now, which is pretty awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Sharon and I signed up. So that's awesome. You know, awesome. I told you, I told you that this would be, like I said, sometimes when I do something like that, it's not necessarily for, like for me, it's not for business. I'm not looking at it as, you know, I feel like I want to like run up, you know, be able to run a bigger business or anything. For me, it's like, how many of these things can I take and apply to how I could be a more disciplined hunter, how I could be better in a camp, how I could be a better like partner for someone that technically I work for, right? Like how can I be a better ambassador? Because for me, the way I'm looking at it is if I'm, if I'm representing a company, then technically I'm an employee and I need, like, I'm going to strive to get a good review. I'm going to strive to help that company progress and in all those qualities seem to parallel, like they parallel whether you're, you know, in a business and you are a leader or whether you're a representative of someone where, you know, you need to, 
you need to be there for support in the right way. So, you know, I'm, I'm trying to take stuff away from that as a way to grow as a, a hunter, an ambassador, you know, a friend, um, rather than from, you know, strictly the business side of things. It, it applies across the board. I think, you know, um, I mean, everything that we, we talk about from a leadership perspective applies. I mean, I, I, it works, uh, on the home front too, you know, with, with your spouse, with your kids. Um, yeah. and, and I think, you know, in your communities, in, within your family, um, I, I think as long as we're all striving to get better. And I think what's awesome about, you know, what you're saying, John, is that when you're, when you're taking a look at like, okay, how can I get better? It's, it's interesting to see, you know, someone who's, who's built a successful business and has impacted people and spreading, you know, archery, uh, to so many people, you know, that, that, uh, maybe not otherwise would, would have, would have turned to archery. Um, and, and it's not surprising to me that, that you come from that spirit of humility of like, okay, I'm always trying to get better. What can I learn? What can I, how can I do better? How can I improve? And I think that is, you know, we get asked all the time, what's the most important quantity leader? And the answer is humility, because when you, you know, when you can't check your ego, you, you can't get any better. Why, why would you try to get any better if you, you know, you, you got it all figured best. out. Yeah. You, yeah, you, there's, yeah. You, you don't, why would I listen to you? Why would I listen to anybody else? I got, I got it all figured out. And, and you don't learn, you don't adapt, you don't innovate, you don't educate yourself, you know, and, and ultimately you, you stop respecting your competition. You get complacent. Even, even on the battlefield, this happens, you know, when, when it's life or death. You, on, you go into an area where, you know, we know that a hundred enemy fighters might overrun our, you know, two dozen guys and, and kill everybody. That could happen at any moment. And we go on an operation, you know, we've done six or eight operations in that area. People kind of just start assuming, well, it hasn't happened, so it won't happen. So you re really have to fight against that all the time. And uh, at every level, you got to have good leaders at, at every level of that team that are constantly reminding people about what's at stake if, if we're not prepared, you know, and, and why we have to do certain things, why we have to be disciplined, and why you can't be falling asleep on the, the stairwell if that's your position, you know, to, to, to keep, an, uh, keep a watch out because everybody else is, you know, you got everybody else's back. So, you know, I, and then ultimately, if you can't check your ego, I mean, you, you can't self-assess. You can't look at yourself and say, what can I do better? And that's what you're talking about. I think that is what drives, I think the most successful people anywhere in life is that they're always looking to improve. And any, you know, it, it's the kind of run and joke in the SEAL teams when we do like, um, like, like kill house runs, you know, so we're practicing clear in hallways and rooms and, and the run and joke is always like, you know, uh, you get done with the debrief and you're waiting for the instructors, the instructor staff to tell you how you did. And, uh, or, or one of the leaders is going to stand up and debrief, you know, the run. And, and so the joke is like best you've ever seen. Yeah. Cause it's never, it's never that. Yeah. It's yeah. never best you've ever seen. It's, there's always something to improve on. There's always something you screwed up. And, uh, and so, you know, it's what makes the, the, the it's what makes the best leaders uh, good is they're constantly improving. Did you know Jocko very, uh, very much before, like you guys went to Ramadi, how far, like, when did you first connect? I met Jocko. I'd heard of Jocko, um, Prior to that, I mean, he had a reputation in the SEAL teams that we, we were familiar with. And, and uh, I, I had never met Jocko before I checked into SEAL Team 3 in uh, the spring of 2005. And he was my, uh, I had checked in just prior to that, so I knew that he was coming. Um, and then when he showed up, I met him for the very first time. And 
he walked up to me and the other the other platoon commander, Seth Stone. Uh, you know, we knew we were going to be the two platoon commanders. We I went way I went through buds with Seth. You know, our basic training in, in the SEAL teams. We went through our, our advanced training, uh, SEAL qualification training together, and then we, you know, we we were roommates. We lived together for a long time. I mean, he was a real close friend of mine, and and so we got to meet. You know, we we're standing there in formation out behind the, the team, and Jocko walked to us just with a total scowl and glare on his face. You know, and just just said, "I'm Jocko." <laughs> Didn't smile and like walked away. <laughs> that was it. Like no smile. I don't think he smiled for the first like two months that we worked together. Definitely. And uh, and then it yeah. was. And so the the uh, the other battalion commander, Seth, was like, "That guy hates me. I can tell he wants to fire me." You know. <laughs> and and I was like, "Hey man, we're we're gonna be good." Like everyone has said, like Jocko's the man. He's the absolute guy we want as our task and commander. Um, just let's train jujitsu. Let's get after it, you know, and, and, uh, it'll be fine. Trust me. And, and of course they ended up being super, super close friends, you know, but I wonder uh, when he, like, when did, when did like Jocko like officially freaking hit the, hit the map? I mean, do you think, did it, do you think he was like humble pie during buds or was he still just like freaking <laughs> just straight up? Have you ever talked to anyone that put him through buds? I I, uh, I know uh, several guys that went through buds with him, and uh, yeah, he, look, he was a young, he was just a young, eager team guy that was like Mister Hardcore. It's is what he had the reputation of, you know, hitting the surf and getting wet and sandy before the instructors even told him to do it, you know, <laughs> and uh, it was just like I'm going to be more hardcore than anybody else and. Uh, he, he jokes about it, how he, Damn, he like went to his first SEAL team. This is like in the you know early nineties and he's like expecting he's going to go to Vietnam, you know, <laughs> it's like, Hey man, Vietnam's been over for 20 years, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so we, uh, oh. but no, it's, I mean, I, I didn't know, it, I didn't know the young Jocko actually. And in fact, you know, the, the only Jocko I'd never known was the Jocko with a shaved head, you know, it was Mr. Square, Ultra Square away. And, and, um, and so there was, he had a picture on his wall, um, you know, and, and Seth and I were over, over at his house one time. And so there's a picture of Jocko and his wife on, on the wall, um, or, you know, a family picture on the wall. And so there's a, there's a picture of Jocko's wife and, and some, some dude, you know, with like long, like boy band looking hair and sideburns, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, and this guy's got his arm around Jocko's wife. And we're like, you know, we'd have a few drinks, you know, and we're Seth and I are like, who is that? You know, who's, who's got through all, like, we're ready to go fight somebody. And he's like, that's me. And I'm like, wait, what? You had long hair and sideburns. I don't understand. Damn. So yeah, there, there was a did. time, there was a time he didn't have a shave done. Yeah. Dang. Went from the bangs to freaking growing out the flow, huh? Oh. but it was, uh, yeah, look, I, 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 uh, I wonder when he, I wonder when he like stepped into the role of, you know, being a leader. Cause it's like, at some point someone makes that decision to where, you know, obviously he had, you know, like you said, you know, there was discipline to studying up on knowing what he needed to do to, you know, kind of take the lead and being responsible at some point. Right. So I, I mean, from the time I've known him, he's, he's, he's always been a tremendous student of leadership. And I think that's, you know, a lot of, I know that he talks about a, a platoon commander that he had when he was a young enlisted guy who, 
he admired tremendously who gave him ownership of stuff and let him and, and his, you know, uh, junior enlisted guys run stuff in the platoon and treated them with respect and, and was just a leader that they could really look up to and, and made their lives better. And so what he wanted to do was try to make the lives better for 16 guys in a, in a SEAL platoon, you know? So he got commissioned as an officer, you know, in order to do that. And, and, uh, I, you know, I I uh, I always wanted to be in the SEAL teams from the time I was a kid growing up in Southeast Texas and you know playing with GI Joe figures in my sandbox. I, I went to the Naval Academy you know for four years and and uh, a lot of the leadership I learned there was what not to do. You know from uh, I never want to be a leader like that that person. I, I definitely would never want to want to treat someone like that person. Talk to me. You know there, there was a lot how of much, negative. How much of it did there, you but, apply? Like how much from what you were taught? Did you, you know, come out of there and be like, okay, this was actually useful information? There, there, was, some, there was some great leaders that, that provided examples for sure. Um, and there was, again, a lot of negative, a uh, lot of, of negative examples of leaders that I never wanted to be like. And I went out, served in the service fleet for a few years. Um, and then when I finally got a chance to serve in the SEAL teams, I mean, that was really the formative years for me as a leader um, was that platoon commander tour working with Jocko. And, and I think, you know, when I think about, Jocko taught me to be the, 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 the combat leader that I needed to be. And most of what he taught me was stuff that I kind of thought I probably should be doing. But for whatever reason, you know, I, either I wasn't doing it or I wasn't doing it with confidence. And I think the way he, he but he kind of made me look at things in a different way. And, and it was like, hey, you know, if you're not, I, you know, I know, look, I know you might want to be liked by your platoon, but if you're not really holding the line and pushing the standards hard on this training, your guys aren't going to be ready, you know, and, and that means more of your guys might get killed in combat and, and don't come home or to their they families. Don't pick you to go. Yeah, so right? you're actually failing the team if you do that. And so it was, it was a recognition that, you know, uh, not, not only should I, should I be doing these things over here, but if I wasn't doing those things, I was actually failing. Uh, I was failing as a leader. I was failing the team. And, and, and that's a very different way of looking at it. So, you know, I, I think just gave me the confidence to understand like, okay, this is what we have to do. Uh, and I could go and execute with confidence. I mean, it's kind of like the shooting today, you know, you were like, yeah. Hey, you're doing great. But you, you're, you're, and I'm thinking, man, this, this feels weird. Or this feels different. You're like, well, you just got to gain some confidence in that. Yeah. I think it's the same thing for leadership when, um, you know, when you, you got, you got to have the confidence to know that like, Hey, I'm, I'm, this is, I'm making the right decisions or this is what I should do. This is what I'm, you know, uh, this is the direction I need to go. This is how I need to lead and take ownership of stuff. You know, I got to do that with confidence. To know that's the right move because I'm responsible for everything. And, and I think that, uh, that is when you, when you have that, it, it gives you a real power to know like, okay, that's, that's what good leadership looks like. You know? That's awesome. What's your takeaways from today? Cause obviously well, for those listening, we had, what, a couple hours? Because we're going to be together in two weeks. I mean, there's a pretty cool crew of us that are going to be hanging out. So I just told you, I'm like, it's going to be a benefit <laughs> to you to get here for at least four hours to where I can, like, get you started on the path. Because I think if your index finger would have showed up to... To tack, I think Chaco would have freaking pounced on that dude because because <laughs> a course like that can eat you up. You know, if you're uh, if you bring bad habits in, like it's a freaking it's a just a cesspool for bad habits to just <laughs> party hard. 
So, yeah, I, I, I can only imagine. And just even watching some of the videos and hearing the stories from you guys about, about some of those shots. Look, I'm, I'm not at all convinced that I'm not going to be, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to be uh, making some, making some, uh, uh, some, some terrible shots there. But, um, you know, the, my biggest takeaway from today is, uh, is this stuff works. I mean, it, it absolutely works. And, uh, and, and I think, you know, I was, again, I've been, I've been shooting and I've, I've been shooting bows since I was three years old and I've been shooting a, a trigger release for, for 20 plus years, as I said. So I've got a lot of, I've got a lot of habits that I've formed and, and look, I've killed, I've killed some decent bucks. I killed a Pope and young, you know, bull elk back in the day, a few years ago. Um, so I, I've had some success there and, and almost that, but the bad habits kind of stay and I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not making hundred yard shots like, like you are either. So clearly um, you could, there's, like there's right a lot, there's could. a lot that I need to work on. And yeah. I think, I think that, uh, and I, I would feel a lot more confident after I work today, making those hundred yard shots. I probably, I wouldn't even attempt that. It's the same know, shot. It's the same yeah. shot that we made. Like it's the same shot that I posted. It's the exact same shot. Well, I think that that's my biggest takeaway is that just to, to know that like follow the fundamentals and they work and they, and they actually work and they deliver. And, and, you know, when I, you know, when you're like, Hey, it should feel easy to you, you know, it should feel good when you, when you, when you're in the right position and, uh, and I can totally feel that, you know, when yeah. you go right to that position, it feels good. It's, you know, you let off that, that, uh, you let off the, 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 uh, the clutch and, and, uh, give it some gas over your elbow back. And all of a sudden that thing just surprises you and puts it right on the money. And, and, uh, and I was like, dang, this, this shit works. Uh, and, and I think that's awesome. I think it's, you know, it's almost like you kind of, you cast self doubt or you have previous habits and you don't want to let go of that stuff. You think, oh, I've, I've always done it this way. And, and kind of like leadership, the goal is, okay, what are, what are you trying to do? Well, I'm trying to shoot as accurately as I possibly can. Um, and, uh, and I think all you have to be doing, all you have to be is willing to open your mind and, and learn, yeah. you know, from, from, from uh, someone, you know, like you who has so much experience in this. And uh, if I'm willing to listen and learn, I mean, it absolutely works. And, and uh, I think in, you know, just a few hours uh, today, I, I feel like my, I have improved. I learned more in those few hours we spent together than my entire um, 42 years of shooting bows prior Dang. put together. It's cool because you have a different perspective coming in. Like with Jocko, he had never shot. So for him, he knew, and and I believed him when he said it. He's like, he said, this will be part of my daily routine. And I mean, he knew it. He's like, this, you know, I'm not telling you, I'm not going to tell you I'm going to shoot 100 arrows a day like Rogan. But he said, I guarantee you, I will shoot a few. And he said, you know, I'll, it'll, it'll be a good thing for me to like quiet the chaos at times so he had a very different perspective whereas you had already bow hunted so like you know you technically you were a hunter first and figured out a way to shoot a bow so that you could hunt at that so that you could hunt that way right definitely yeah i was i was gun hunting before i was bow hunting definitely. yeah whereas a lot of people right now are like learning about archery from podcasts they're learning archery and then they're going like Josh Hall, right? Freaking came in, wanted to try archery. And then Jocko said, Hey, is it cool if a buddy of mine comes up and shoots with us at TAC? He said he makes surfboards and stuff. I think you'll like him. So I was like, Yeah. And then Josh asked me straight up, you know, Hey, dude, um, I'm going to do this elk hunt in New Mexico. Like, what do you think? And I was just like, 
damn, this guy, like you're That's freaking, awesome. like you're going <laughs> elk hunting and you've been shooting how long, you know? And then all of a sudden he freaking texts me a pic in September. He's just like, dude, I'm so pumped. And I'm just like, holy crap, this guy did it. Like he literally learned about archery, went, tried it, like learned the right way first, then did like, I think he did like a hog hunter, an axis hunter or something. And then just said like, yeah, I, you know, the end goal is I want to be able to like provide my own meat and freaking goes out and gets a, a bull and he did it the backwards way, you know, uh, well, compared to me, whereas I was a hunter first. And then it's like, oh, if you want to challenge now, now you have to figure out how to do it with a bow instead of a gun. So it was like I had a very different approach. But what I will say is I never found like felt that instant, like kind of mm, like gratitude or like, you know, like kind of rewarding feeling like I, I'll really like this. This is going to be cool. I never really felt that until I made my first shot. Like at, cause for a long time I was, you know, shooting the wrong draw length, punching, punching the trigger could freaking shoot unbelievable one day, but then suck the next day. And I remember like how frustrating that was. And you, you just kind of took it as like, yeah, that's part of like shooting a bow. I never really understood. You could actually be good almost all the time if you're doing it the pro the proper way. And I remember when I finally made my first good total surprise shot, I was like, okay, yeah, I've never, I've shot a bow, but I've never had that where it like ha happened like that. And it was a surprise, but it was also freaking dead center. And it was like hitting a hole in one in golf. You know, it was, I referred to it with a friend of mine the other day and I talked to it about that. I'm like, you know, if you like, how many times have you seen someone make a hole in one in golf, you know, even at a hundred yards, even at like say, you know, how many people have you watched chip one in at a hundred yards? Whereas if you shoot an X with a bow at a hundred yards, it's a hole in one, right? I mean, that's what it is. And you can, Honestly, people that start it brand new can freaking get to that level very fast with simple basics, you know, which I think is incredible because I never, I never looked at it from that perspective, you know, when I first came up from wanting to hunt, then having to learn to shoot. I think that's a fascinating uh, perspective on it. And that's, that's been one of the toughest things for me as a, as a bow hunter is, you know, I would go out and drill, you know, drill bullseyes in my backyard in a 3D target. And then you're sitting on the stand and you get one opportunity and, you, you know, you just totally Shank missed the shot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, it's, and it would be so frustrating. Like, how did I miss that? You know, how did that happen? Or, you know, if you wound an animal, I mean, just, you know, all those things that, that are the, the least fun parts of hunting that are, you know, just, just, uh, it's, it's the incredibly, you know, highest highs and the, and the lowest of lows, you know, and, and particularly when you're putting in the work for, a, you know, on elk hunt, yeah. you know, and, and I think it's, um, it, I think it's awesome to know that like, Hey, this is a skill and you can get better at doing it. And if you do these fundamentals and you're going to be, you, you can use that skill in any capacity and you're going to be consistently, um, a able to, to accurately, you know, uh, engage, uh, and not, not have to make a bad shot or not, you know, and in fact, it's, it's funny, uh, 
in particular, you're talking about, um, you know, we were, we were talking about Elkhorn today and, I, and I've been in a lot of gunfights in my time in, in, in Iraq. And I, th- those times in Ramadi, we got shot at a lot. I've been shot. I've been blown up. I've, you know, I've, I've gotten the chance to, to, uh, to be in a lot of firefights. And, and I've never been as excited. I've never been just shaking, you know, with excitement or, you know, the buck fever as I have been when, uh, when I'm in a hunting, a bow hunting situation, when you're so close to an animal that's coming in and you're sitting there yeah. getting excited. And that has happened to me with whitetails and even more so with elk you got a big you know bull bugling and coming in on you and busting brush and and uh and it's it's just awesome uh but i think part of that too is um you know it, it, being able to use those fundamentals and and, and get that silver back to the right spot where you're you know making that good surprise shot that's going to be accurate and controlling it uh and in fact i just had a buddy of mine send me a text uh somebody that you've trained with uh got him thomas alfred that i used to train jujitsu with mm-hmm. and and uh he just sent me a picture of a cape buffalo that he shot <laughs> with uh with with a silverback he said man i would never Dang. i would never have not have been able to control my nerves without uh <laughs> without being able to use Dude, this. that's so freaking he said to tell you thank you yeah that's dynamite did you have a moment like that at all today the like kind of like what i was talking about did you because you kind of learned a new way of shooting and i guess maybe to backtrack for people listening um i told you part of what i think makes this system work is that we've given we've pretty much given an uh an unsubordinate officer a new task to where he's actually doesn't have control to now control the situation, right? Which is what we're doing by going to a handheld release versus an index finger release, which, you know, you had shot so long that you were really worried, like what your brain was going to think, you know, at, with the target. And I knew there'd be some hiccups because there's, there's certain times where there's like, you kind of overthink it to where, and maybe I think there was two times where I could see like, there'd be like, wait, 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 you're, you're there. Why aren't you letting this, you know, why aren't you letting this shot happen? But for the most part, because we manipulated how the activation happens, now it's a completely new process. So technically you don't have a habit because we've given you a new, an entirely new task. So you've, you haven't done that task yet. So there, there might be old habits um, or old tendencies, but there's not an old habit to where it's like going to happen because it's ingrained. It's like there might be a, a, a reactive motor skill function that's happening. So I was confident we were going to be able to move past what you were worried about, but when do you remember one shot that just felt perfect today? Do you remember one in particular? Definitely, yeah, yeah. Which I, one was it? I, I think, uh, yeah, I think it was kind of, probably. I've probably already taken, you know, I don't know, six or eight shots, you know. And I think when when I got, uh, I think when I finally got to a position where, you know, you kind of work on my my just my anchor point, getting that hand in the right position, um, and. Uh, and I think when it, when it, I just, I felt like it, it just went straight there. I was able to get on the site, you know, pick, get, get on the, just a good site picture, looking through that, that peep site. And, and, and then, 
just thinking about easing off the clutch and just just put coming back on the on the gas there and and just having to feel good and being like wow that was easy wow that was awesome and that surprise shot I also realized so many of those bad shots I was making I'm, I'm freaking jerking the trigger and yeah. I can't do that with the silver I can't I can't jerk the trigger yeah. so I think even what I loved was you know taking my trigger finger completely out of that mm-hmm. um, and and it's uh, you know, that's, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty cool to think, you know, it's, it's, it's more like, sh- like shooting with fingers, you know, which obviously human beings have been doing for thousands of years, <laughs> way before they had trigger releases. So, yeah. uh, for a long time. So I, I think that, um, it, I, I, I remember at least one and, and multiple shots. I think that just felt really smooth, really good. And, uh, and I love just being, being surprised as that thing went off. It's like, dang, that this thing works. That's awesome. Was there one analogy that stood out that helped that helped you like more so than others? Was there one analogy that I talked about where you where it like really hit home where you're like, oh yeah, I totally like now I this is something new that I haven't really thought of that way, but a hundred percent get it now. Yeah, look, I mean, you 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 gave some great analogies. I think that were um, that that were very powerful. I think one of the ones that stood out to me was just the the idea of of uh, bringing that you know it's instead of getting on your peep side, like you know, getting getting to your your uh, um, you know, anchor yeah, first. getting to your anchor point first, yeah, and uh, and and. And, and then, and then actually, you know, lining up the sights. And I think, you know, bringing that thing right to your eye, that really helped me a lot. And then, you know, the analogy that you and I were talking about was when you're, you know, if you're using a combat rifle, you know, if you're shooting ARs, a lot of, what a lot of people will do is a bad habit will don't, you know, that have been, you know, uh, uh trained properly is, is they're going to bring that thing up to their shoulder and then they're going to lean their head over to look down the sights instead of actually just bringing that thing right up to your shoulder and you're bringing the sight right to your eyes. So you're looking down at the target the whole time. You're not moving your head at all. Uh, yeah. and, and that was something that resonated with me because I was doing the opposite of that with my bow, uh, for yep. a long time of kind of just, you know, bringing it back and then, then kind of leaning over rather than just getting it, um, you know, getting in the right position first and then getting on that. Uh, yeah. We were, we were really talking about, you know, when you draw a bow back and it stops, you need to learn to be able to bring that anchor over to your face and not have to take your whole face over to the anchor and manipulate your head. Or, you know, we're like, we were talking about when you draw back, there's a triangle and you have the ability to like move that triangle up, down, back and forth, like based on a bunch of things. But if you can get to the point where if you took a picture of yourself at full draw in like the best full draw position you've ever done, where you're like, man, I look perfect in that picture. The goal is to be able to draw that bow back. And when that triangle stops to be able to move that triangle to that exact placement, as if you were to be in a photo, like how do you draw and where it stops and where you have to move to, to, to that final picture, perfect position. Can you get in the habit of, of doing that to where, when you do draw and stop, you are so close to that in position that you're not like wasting added movement of a head, shoulder and anchor position, trying to change your hand position. Like how can you do that exact motion so efficient to where you're barely 
moving in to acquire the peep site once you're anchored. And when you do that, man, do you start one shots just start happening faster because you're already in alignment. You haven't con you know, you haven't like, um, changed so many things that, you know, you've like manipulated yourself to where now it's not really going to activate as easy as what you would want it to. Um, but it's, it's really hard to explain to people like on a podcast or if they're not there. Cause like when I'm watching you, I'm trying my best to explain it. And sometimes you don't get it. And actually like, sometimes if I draw it the way I did with you, like right away, people just, Oh, I see what you're trying to say. And sometimes they don't get that. And I'll have to like hold an arrow or, you know, I'll have to like take a little piece of string, like a shot trainer and show them like, okay, Hey, here's this. And it's funny, different people like get it different ways. You can't like, I can't just do it that way all the time because sometimes people have no idea what I'm talking about when I try to explain it like that. I, I mean, you, the, the explanations were awesome today. I mean, one of the ones that stood out to you was uh, the leaning on the door. I mean, I think that was, I, I Which think- is really cool because a lot of people wouldn't say that that was one of the analogies that helped them. But you really got that. You probably have, I would say out of all the students that I've ever had that um, had front hand issues, you were the best I've ever had at once I talked through that whole grip portion to where when you grabbed your bow and you actually leaned on it, I knew, I'm like, okay, this guy, so one of the indicators for me, if I sight your bow in and I was shooting it, which I did before I handed it to you, I wanted to know where, where we were hitting with your bow and that release. And so I was hitting at three o'clock on the X ring. If I don't know if you paid attention, like when I warmed up, I was hitting at three o'clock and I kind of wanted to just take note because we hadn't fine tuned your sight exactly to you. So I just wanted to know where it was for me. And so for you to then start shooting and grab that bow and when you were making good shots, now granted there's a few times where I corrected your grip and you hit low right, which we talked through. Um, But when you made that hand placement, I'm like, okay, if he does everything else, he's just gonna hit in the same holes as me. And you did like, honestly, you hit in the same hole as me as when I blank bailed on that. I was just, you know, subconscious was probably just putting my pin in the middle of that whole big ass bail. You know, that's just your subconscious, just like, Oh, I'm just going to center this thing. And I shot. And then I gave it to you and said like, Hey, you don't really have to aim at anything. Just go. And then you shot my freaking arrow <laughs> hole member. <laughs> Cause we were the first two arrows in that whole four foot bail. So I was like, okay, well, his subconscious did the, just did the same. And then we shot for a while blank bail and you were doing good, not really aiming at anything. And then we took a rest. And then I said, okay, I'd like to do one more exercise, which that was when I actually had a spot in front of you and kind of walked you through like, okay, here's what's getting ready to happen. You know, you're going to tell me it's not going to happen, but I know it's going to happen. You're going to draw back on this thing. And as much as, 
I'm going to tell you, it doesn't matter. There's a bullseye down there. Now you're actually going to freaking, <laughs> you know, spaz out. <laughs> and you're like, no, I got it. And I'm like, okay, I, I hope so. But you know, sure enough, like what happens happens, right? Yeah. At times there's patterns. And, um, but once we kind of got that dialed in, I mean, you were shooting in my arrow holes. So the fact that your lefts and rights mirrored mine, a lot of times when I grab, if someone says like, hey, shoot my bow for me, I want to beat you with my bow, I'll like hold it up and I can look down it and I can know right away like, oh, this por- this person torques hard this way. And then I'll kind of know in my mind, I better aim X amount off or otherwise I'm not even freaking be on this target type thing because yeah i can see by their alignment through their system how much torque they're applying to their front grip or facial pressure that they would have so as soon as you hit in those same holes and then you hit again and again i'm like okay damn his front hand is as good as it would and do you remember i even made a a comment to you i said dude like you have the the possible the possibility to freaking own some some dudes up at the tack thing i'm like you <laughs> and and honestly it's because you have it's like what we talked about with jujitsu like you know you go level 19 berserker mode on someone you know like the less tense you can be like what you were saying is you know if you like the more tense you are a lot of times it's counterintuitive like if you're tense one way someone good will know that and then they're going to play off that tension so with your front bow hand the fact that you lack tension there is going to make you more accurate like without you even knowing it and someone who struggles with tension in the front hand like Jocko (laughs) you know you have the ability to be more accurate than him just because of that alone right now which is kind of cool because if you really boil it down, you know, that was one of the key factors, but it was also number two in what I told you. Like, you know, hey, I'm gonna I'm only gonna talk to you about five things, but these five things will change your game. Like it'll change your game. You'll either you're either gonna beat people you never thought you'd be, or you're gonna suck worse than what I know you're capable of. But <laughs> Um, it, may, it may be the latter. I don't want to get, <laughs> get ahead of myself here, but uh, look, I, I, I mean, it's. I thought that was mind blowing to me, and I realized, you know, a lot of the you you talked about shooting left, you know, just based on your grip and and uh, you know, you know, based on your, your how you're holding your shoulder, and I mean, all those things that as you were saying those things today, I'm like, oh, that explains it. That explains yeah. why, I, why, I explains why I do this. That explains why I miff that shot, you know, when, yeah. when, uh, you know, when, when I'm, I've got the one shot for the deer that's coming in, I've been sitting, you know, and, and, uh, and it's a lot of that, that the hand placement in particular was, you're like, yeah, your fingers are white. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? Yeah. Like it, Cause it didn't, it didn't seem like, it didn't seem like that. And then when you went through, you know, we went, went through the drill of leaning on the door and then you, you kind of, you know, talked to me about, about just holding my hand there with, you know, almost no pressure at all. Uh, and no, no grip from the fingers. And you're like, yeah, I can't do that. And I'm like, okay. Well, and then you showed me, I was like, oh, that's no problem. <laughs> and, and I think, you know, that's, that's a, a lot of times it's, uh, it seems like, you know, we talked about this before, right? People just think, oh, well, look, John Dudley can do that. He can shoot like that. I can't shoot like that. 
Um, but obviously like leadership, we were just talking about as a skill, like, you know, this is a skill and they're, they're fundamentals that if you do them, they actually work. And I, I was blown away by that. I think that was a real eye opener to me of just getting that hand uh, placement, right? And I think once you kind of showed me how to do it, I felt good. And I, you know, then, then you're like, Hey, the reason you're, uh, you know, your, your bubbles off a little bit is cause you're putting too much torque on your thumb. And then now I had to adjust that. And, and I think, you know, those, those last, last six or eight shots that I took where I was really thinking about, you know, controlling that and, and it, it, it was no factor. And, and I was right in position. The bow was level. It was no factor at all. Um, just based on that little adjustment. It was, it was awesome. That's cool. So what's your, uh, what's your plans moving forward? Where are you going to take it? Where am I going to take? Uh, Seems like there's a party outside. <laughs> I can hear it in my headphones. Somebody's jamming yeah, out. Yeah, they're getting after it out there. Um, where am I going to take the the archery? Yeah, I mean, I want to, I want to, I want to keep building all these fundamentals. And and I think like anything, you know, we talk about leadership, right? You can't just sit through a can't just sit, sit through a single seminar or read a book and think you're going to be the greatest leader ever, right? Yeah. You, like you can't go to the gym one time and think you're going to be the best shape of your life. You got to do it all the time. And, and I think what I want to, what I need to do is just, I mean, I've got 3d targets and a couple block targets in my backyard. I can get out to a 60 or 70 yard shot, you know, um, right in my backyard and uh, back home in Texas. And I think I want to just, I want to keep, keep at this. And, and then I want to make sure I don't revert back to old habits. Uh, and what I know I'm going to have to do is, you know, is, is make sure that I, I, you know, I, I, I get, get some instruction from you, you know, so that I'm not, as I'm acquiring bad habits, I'm like, okay, Hey, this isn't working or Hey, I'm having this issue and, and just follow back up to see, okay, what, what can we do to continue to improve or now what things, okay, I've gotten these big things fixed. Now what little small things can I tweak and fix? Um, and, and I want to just continue on the path of, of just trying to get better. And, and I, I'd love to be able to go out there and make this tough, uh, tough hundred yard shots at the total archery challenge and nail those They're things. not that tough. You'll be surprised. But one of the things that I'll tell you, um, is you have tools right now. It's, it would be like, so like some of the things that I told you today, I feel like are critical, but you also have the tools, like you have the tools to go home and dial like I probably shouldn't have put a scale on your bow to where you can just dial your sight and like shoot whatever the hell you want because it, it would be like day one in a jiu-jitsu class you talking to someone about like that choke we were talking about today where it's like okay you've given this dude the tools to choke someone out but he really like he can he can use that in a negative way or he could actually recreate some really bad habits in the meantime, because he's just going to be going for the chokehold all the time. <laughs> right. So like one of the things that I think is super critical, because this has been a game breaker for people that come here. And even tonight I debated, we almost went out back and I almost wanted to show you what you what I knew you could do. But then I thought like, okay, great. <laughs> this is going to open up a can of worms. Like, so, um, like with Jocko, I just said, Hey, I want you to work close, like work close because if you did nothing different for the next two weeks, other than what we did today and like worked on that execution to where you weren't putting in a bunch of factor, a bunch of variables that, continually change to where the factors are like always moving wind different size target um 
lighting conditions, you know, distractions of your kids running out, like all that stuff just starts to factor into where, okay, you have like right now you've made 50 shots that are, you know, with a goal of being good. But if you go and make one bad practice where you're, you know, you're trying to shoot too far or it's windy or your kids are running out. And if you shoot another 50 arrows and 25 of those are distracted, well, now already 30 percent of your freaking training to your new hand position or whatever, 30 percent of it has already been incorrect. You know, because you're like trying to go too far too fast. Got it. That makes it's, sense. Yeah, yeah, it's just like, um, like tonight with, um, with when we were like playing guitar, because I'm like three days in or whatever it is, you know, four or five days in. Um, you were saying like, hey, let me, have you learned this yet? And I'm like, dude, I'm learning <laughs> eight chords and all I'm doing is drills. I am drilling, 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 like just learning to, play those eight chords and move my fingers to those eight chords. I'm not like doing anything else fancy, but you know, I've, I've watched some videos cause I'm curious, like what is this other stuff I'm seeing, but I'm not like trying it because I also want to get to the point where I say like, yeah, I can do this. You know, I want to be able to like, if someone just yelled out a, a le- you know, a chord letter, I'd just say, okay, that it's that, you know, like, but I don't feel like I'm to that point. So I just know from a progression standpoint, if I try to progress too fast, it can also be negative, even though I have the tool, like you even said, well, if you can play that, you can play this song. And you started to tell me and I'm kind of like, okay, I don't want to know. Cause I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to just focus on freaking going for the home run and playing every rose has its thorn for Jocko, you know, in Montana and singing it to him. But I also know, I also know that if I freaking work on that for like two weeks, that's also going to be the only thing that I know. So I want to like, I want to drill fundamentals and drill fundamentals and drill fundamentals to where it's like, okay, I don't have to like refresh myself every morning of like, okay, yeah, not not the bottom string. It's the second string from the top. Like when I just can wake up in the morning foggy headed and I can just run through those chords, then at that point I'm like, okay, I'm going to implement something new. So kind of if you take that new mentality or my mentality to what I taught you that's new for archery and you just focus on drilling for two weeks and like honestly, if you don't shoot past – 10 yards until I see you in Montana, dude, I can work with that. Awesome. Like, you know, I can take you out for an hour the night before attack. If you've done nothing but what we did today, um, because you're less likely to in, to like bring in a new bad habit that is like dug in deeper than what I know you would get just shooting close. Like you might realize like, oh man, I forgot the string wasn't supposed to be on the tip of my nose. It's supposed to be on the side. Um, Or sorry, I said that backwards. It's not supposed to be on the side of my nose. It's supposed to be on the tip of my nose type thing. Something like that, that you just hadn't thought about. It's not like life or death. We could probably correct it. I could watch you shoot a few times and be like, hey, hey, you know, you draw down the side of the face. You'd be like, all right, you'd check it in. But when you start shooting longer distances or trying to, you know, 
freaking jam out too soon. Like next thing you know, it's not just you're out of tune. So it's like you, you're freaking strumming off beat and you know, whatever. So it sounds group. like what you're saying, John, is that you, I shouldn't stand up and, and have my buddy hold a discipline go can at 78 yards and try to nail that thing with my, with my bow. No, no, <laughs> do not do that. Like, obviously I'm, uh, I would never do that. That's uh don't do that. If you're listening <laughs> to this, that's uh that's super dangerous. Um, and, uh, what, no, look, what you're saying is it makes a lot of sense. And I think, you know, people try to get too far ahead of themselves. If you got to prioritize and actually, if you're trying to learn everything, you're going to learn nothing. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think that uh, we saw that in the SEAL teams a lot. People would say, you know, I want to do advanced tactics. And, you know, what we would always say is like, well, advanced tactics is doing the basics well. Yeah. And, and if you don't, if you're not good at the basics, you know, I mean, that's you're not going to be able to do something advanced beyond that if they're trying to skip basics and not having a good good fundamentals uh, down, and so they're not going to be successful uh, in that regard. So, I mean, that's that's really what I want to do is focus on the fundamentals. I don't need to shoot at 70, 80 yards. You know, with with these, uh, I mean, ten yards is great. Twenty, you know, maybe twenty yards is is uh, um, is uh, certainly adequate to me as well. And I, I think um, I think just focusing on those fundamentals and trying to um, make those my habits is what I'm hoping to do. Yeah. Because eventually you'll find out, you know, if you can execute within the box, like, you know, you had your own box on the ground. Um, if you can execute within that, the distance doesn't really matter because at the most part, if it's a scoring type event, the, the size of the circle grows proportionally with the distance. So, I mean, it's not like if you're shooting a hundred yards, you're still shooting that quarter, you know, you're shooting like at a hundred yards, the 10 rings now, you know, the size of a plate type thing. It, 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 it proportionally grows as you multiply back, it multiplies in size too. So it honestly looks the same. Like if you have a scope, and you're looking at it like what your sight picture is and how big your pin is at a at a 10 ring at 18 meters it's what your your pin would look like at a face at 90 meters because it's you know at that point it's 122 centimeters you know the total face it's not like you know a fraction of that so the sight picture is the same and so the in the arrow instead of it being a tenth of an inch off, it's, you know, two inches off or whatever. It's like a multiplier. It, if your mistakes are the same up close, they're going to land the same place downrange if there's not like weather factoring in, you know, if it's windy or if you're dealing with more drift, that's one thing. But the execution always dictates the outcome. You know, it's like when you don't execute, then the outcome is not a certainty it's 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 a guess it's a roll of the dice makes sense we're uh i'll keep working on those fundamentals definitely i won't, won't get too ahead of myself there but i'm look i'm sure there will be things i'm screwing up and and uh um i look forward to, to getting getting tightened up again with uh you know with you and just build a, that into habits you know i've got a I've got quite a few years of habits to, uh, to overcome. You don't really though. The more you tell yourself that, the more you do, you've taught, you've told yourself more bad habits than I've seen you have. 
Well, that's great to hear. And I, I think you, <laughs> what you've proven is that, you know, you can, uh, you can talk me out of this pretty quickly. Yeah. So. Yeah. I told you, I said, you know, you're going to get reprogrammed, you know, you're going to get reprogrammed here. So one, um, one thing that you did today that I thought was super powerful is, you know, we always say, um, you know, explaining the why is, is crucial, right? Do you want people to perform a certain way instead of just saying, no, do it this way. Instead of telling them what to do, you got to explain why th they're doing it and what the outcome's going to be or why, you know, why, if you do, if you don't do it that way, what the negative outcome's going to be as well. And I thought you did an amazing job of that, um, going through that. I mean, whether it was hand positioning and stance and, and not, you know, and not letting your shoulder kind of, uh, uh, you know, get out of position, um, you know, or, or, or why you can't bring your head down, you know, what, what the, the result's going to be, or if your hand's not in the right spot, uh, you know, at your anchor point, I think those, those things, uh, that, that was a really powerful thing for me. Cause I, I felt like I left, I, it, it helped me overcome those habits because I, I felt like I truly understood, okay, why I shouldn't do that. And, and how that's going to lead, uh, you know, to, to, uh, you know, throwing the shot off. So that was really solid. And I think that, that will help me going forward. Definitely. That's awesome, dude. Well, I look forward to it. This was super fun. Sorry. You got to go so soon, but you know, you got echelon front stuff to freaking get done. I appreciate it, John. You, the hospitality has been awesome. And, uh, man, it was just so great being here with you. And, and I look forward to, to shooting with you up in Montana real soon. That's awesome, dude. Appreciate you being here. Thanks Knock on, everybody. Me. Be sure to check out knockonarchery.com for our full line of custom-designed products, as well as free in-depth education and bow hunting entertainment to help you shoot at your best.